Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese podcast. Oh, yeah. We got the EEOC in the house, everybody. What's up? It's your favorite podcast. This is co-host Joel Cheeseman, as always, joined by my co-host-in-chief, Chad Sowash. And, dude, Chad, you were oh, so excited by this, dude. this guest. I, I got, yeah. I'm going to hand it off to you to, to, to take it from here. <laughs> Nobody is excited when somebody says EEOC, but I'm going to tell you right now, on this podcast, this episode, you are going to be excited. So welcome Keith Sonderling, Commissioner at the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That's the EEOC. Yeah, you know me. Three years prior uh, at uh, DOL at Wage and Hour Division, acting and deputy administrator there. So I should say the main reason why we wanted to get you on, Keith, is because you have recently written articles and, po- and done podcast on AI. We'll get there. Um, but we're really excited because we have not, I repeat, we have not had the engagement that any of us, I think, in our industry have wanted from government around technology. But before we get into that, that's just a little teaser. Give us a little a little background about you. Who is Keith? Are we talking about long you know, walks on the beach? Well, thank you. And uh, for, for those, when you say EEOC's in the house, uh, most people would run away from that house or immediately turn off. But stay on, please, um, because I'm very excited to be here. Joel and Chad, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've listened to your podcast. You've been a tremendous resource for me as I dive into technology. Oh, as go I dive on. Into AI. Say more. 
we're just the next 45 minutes, let me tell you how great both of you are. Um, but in all, in all seriousness, we will get to technology. And I do appreciate what you both do and bring to light all these different various technologies that employers are using and employees are being subject to. But uh, first, a little bit about me. Um, I'm a commissioner on the US EEOC. I was confirmed by the Senate uh, last September after going through the Senate confirmation process, which uh, took around uh, 14 months, which is this whole uh, own separate podcast. That's got to suck, right? That sounds like a colonoscopy. (laughs) You know, in in a way... uh, you have to look at it and, and sort of pinch yourself that you are interacting with this uh, process, that you're dealing with the United States Senate, that you've been nominated by the president. So as much time as it took, it was just a, a very, very cool experience. But um, before I got to the EEOC, and I've been here just around a year, I was at the Department of Labor at the Wage and Hour Division, which you said, which does the minimum wage, overtime, the Family Medical Leave Act, and then some of the immigration and agricultural laws. Um, But what drew me to the Department of Labor is that I was a labor and employment lawyer in Florida. Uh, That's all I've ever done my entire career. Uh, I was at a a Florida-based law firm doing labor and employment, uh, defending corporations and labor and employment suits on the litigation side, but also working with HR and working with uh, companies on best practices, policies, and procedures relating to labor and employment. So when the opportunity came up in 2017 to join the Department of Labor, to me, it was uh, not only a once in a lifetime opportunity, but I looked at it as like, I'm a labor and employment lawyer. I can go to the, the mothership, the Department of Labor, <laughs> and and get essentially get a, a, a PhD in labor and employment, right? When you're yeah. doing it at that level. So I, I, I left Florida, so I'm no longer technically a Florida man, although I will always be a Florida man. Go Gators. That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> So uh, I'm proud to be a Florida man in uh, in D.C. So when I, when I joined the Department of Labor, I really saw a, a national perspective on how these issues affect employees and employers, and not just um, from the Florida perspective that I was dealing with before. And I was able to do a lot of really uh, very cool things at the Department of Labor, whether it was opinion letters, whether it was changing the overtime regulations. Um, so that was a really great experience. And then I was nominated to the EEOC. And for labor and employment lawyers, the EEOC is really the premier uh, agency uh, for civil rights. The premier I mean, league. You almost said right? premier league. Right? I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> that is football is for, for another, for, for you two to talk about. Let's talk about Ted Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great job. I haven't seen season two yet. Only season one. But, you know, the EEOC, really, when you think about labor and employment and modern day issues that affect employees on a daily basis, it's it's not the Department of Labor, which deals more with the health, safety and wages concern. It's not the National Labor Relations Board, uh, although that's very well known. You mm-hmm. know, that deals more with union issues. The EEOC gets to the, the core of it. It's, it's the, the civil, it's the agency that deals with all civil rights in the workplace. So think about pay equity, disability discrimination, the entire Me Too movement, pregnancy discrimination, age discrimination, all the big ticket stuff. So when you say personally what it means to me from having had that experience about Department of Labor and now at the EEOC, it's it just, it's more, uh, more than I could ever ask for. <laughs> So, so once again, you've written articles and you've been on podcasts and you've actually been talking about artificial intelligence, a.k.a. AI. And you've been very vocal about the impact of AI or the perspective impact of AI in hiring, firing and in the managing process. So what incidents got the EEOC, more importantly, you, because it feels like you're leading this, um, interested in AI in the first place? 
Well, let me answer that in a, in a few uh, different parts. Um, generally, commissioners at the EEOC have their own um, projects or areas of law that they specialize in. You know, one commissioner really led the charge on LGBT discrimination. One commissioner led the charge on age discrimination. So it, it's not uncommon for commissioners to pick um, a specific topic and, and really champion it. And, and for me, that is, as you said, artificial in the work, intelligence in the workplace for a whole host of different reasons. First and foremost, that it is out there, is being used. It's not one of these discussions about, let's talk about how robots are going to replace humans and there's going to be no more workers and we're just live a society of, of robot workers. <laughs> that's what people, yes. Right. That's Wally. what people want to think about when they think about AI. But you, as you know, that that's not what it is. It's technology that's out there right now. So the conversation needs to happen now. And you know, coming from um, practicing law and dealing with corporations who need to hire workers, who want to genuinely diversify their workforce and and take out some of the bias in in recruiting, these issues need to be addressed right away. And there's been a lot of interest before I got here. There was interest from Capitol Hill. Senators wrote um, letters to the EEOC demanding that the EEOC uh, take up this issue. There's been a lot of advocacy groups asking the EEOC to look at this topic. So technology, first of all, really interests me. But but more importantly, um, there's so many benefits um, to using technology in the workplace that I want to see it flourish and not get subject to certain government regulations that are not going to make it work because we're already too late. It's happening and it needs to be addressed now. So Mm -hmm. because there's no regulations out there, because there's no guidance on it, because as you know, technology generally gets very far ahead of the government. um, It's a time where we can all really work together. Everyone from um, employee groups to employers buying and using the softwares to developers to create a standard that actually allows these products and this AI to help diversify the workforce, help get the best candidates, but also not put on burdensome regulations that take it down or subject it to a massive federal investigations or class action lawsuits. Keith, can you talk about sort of how we got here? Because the, the phrase, you know, the trip to hell is paid, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I feel like we got to this this tech heavy recruitment process, sort of not on purpose, but it just sort of happened that way. And what's your perspective on just how we got here? Well, I think obviously the default answer and the easy answer is the pandemic really pushed this forward, but it was using being used before then. And I think for larger corporations, think Fortune 500 companies that need to hire hundreds of thousands of workers, how do you deal with that process? How do you deal with the amount of applicants and how do you have enough employees internally in HR that are actually going to be able to interview these people? So I really think that's where a lot of this um, came out from that you, you have thousands and thousands of resumes and, and a human just doesn't have the capacity or you just need a lot of them to, to sift through them. So I think that's sort of the basis um, of where a lot of this came out from. But then when Silicon Valley and tech people started getting involved and sort of adding in the AI to a lot of that, that's when a lot of these decisions that I've been writing about and I've been talking about are really um, coming to the forefront. And that's more recent. I think that's in the last three or four years. And I know uh, on your podcast, you talk about how much money is going into these AI technologies. And for me, obviously, you know, that's a good thing. If, if, we're, if we're getting funding, if we're getting better products and investors are looking in this, th- that's good. Let's just, let's just do it the right way so it all doesn't 
go down in flames because of misuse, either by bad actors or by bad design. So that's really, you know, how I look at this is that it's brimming with potential. But it, 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 at the same time, if somebody in my position doesn't come out and say, here are the best rules of the world, here are the best practices, then um, it could be really subject to some very serious lawsuits. <laughs> Aren't we missing the forest for the trees, though? I mean, because I think most people understand that AI, they misunderstand that the decision AI is making doesn't stem from AI itself. Rather, it stems from human decisions. Humans are biased, always have been, always will be. Although when you, the human being, program that bias into systems, processes, and, and in the, this case, AI, you start to reach scale meaning that your bias could impact thousands instead of dozens. So That's a great from my standpoint, as we talk about regulation, I almost want to say, look, you know, when we're talking about bias, the bias is there. It's programmed in. We already have regulations to enforce bias. And these decisions are just really being being taken to another scale with AI. But these are human decisions. So are, are we are we pointing our finger at AI instead of Jeff Bezos? <laughs> are we pointing at the wrong person or the wrong um, system? That's really a great point and what I talk about. This is, it's not about the algorithm, although it could be about the algorithm, because I'm a lawyer, I have to disclaim it, right? <laughs> so there's two ways to, to look at this. And there's been so much of a focus on the algorithm and the secret computer coding that's discriminating that even if the three of us saw, we would have no idea what it even said, because it's probably all math formulas, right? Right. That's not what it's about. And you just summarize it perfectly. It's it's either number one, the data going into the algorithm. And, and you know, and there's the two classic examples about this, which I've written and spoke about. Um, the first is that very public Amazon, when they used AI and they wanted to, um, they gave the computer their ideal candidate, which mm -hmm. is based on their historical applicants and their workforce. And then because that was mainly males, it started downgrading everyone who wasn't a male. So it automatically started downgrading you if you went to a women's college or if you played a woman's uh, sports in college. Field hockey. Right. Yeah. And that, that wasn't because the AI has misogynistic intent, which a lot of people would just want to say, you know, the AI is discriminatory. It was simply because of the data fed to him. And another example, and I know you both will get a kick out of this one, one firm said, go find me the ideal applicant. I want to diversify my workforce. Here's my top performers. And the algorithm spits out your ideal applicant is named Jared who played high school across. Thank you. I mean, I mean, what does that, what does that say? What does that do? But whose fault is that? That that's the, the, the inputs that gave you the buy the biased inputs give you the biased outputs. Now, what I did disclaim is that there are situations where it could be, I don't want to say a biased algorithm, but mm -hmm. a biased tool, right? So if, if some of these programs are poorly designed and then, you know, carelessly implemented by the employer and they allow you to screen out certain race, gender, age, or do sort of brackets like you would target other advertising, then that could be a discriminatory tool within itself. It doesn't matter what the, if the data is, whatever the data looks like, the data could be, you can have a completely diversified workforce, um, potential workforce. And then if you have a tool that allows you to sift through it on protected characteristics, that's the scaling discrimination like we've never seen before, right? right. Because now you have a tool to do it. So for the most part, it, I, I completely agree with you. It's not about the algorithm. Who cares what the algorithm, how it's designed? What we're going to look at and what employers should be looking at is what is the results of what you fed the algorithm? Because that will tell you a lot about the data you put into it. 
So should we be pointing the finger at the employers or the software developers or a little bit of both? Well, first of all, we don't point fingers. We assess situations <laughs> under under applicable law. Yeah, Joel. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Joel. Chad and I point fingers. That, that's fine. <laughs> And of course, we look at every investigation individually and would not uh, point fingers at anyone until we have reasonable cause. But in all seriousness, the who the employer, and now I have to do sound like a lawyer for a minute, the employer is liable. There's no question mm-hmm. under our loss that the employer using these tools to make the decisions will be liable for the outcomes of the AI. Whether or not, whether they bought the AI to really diversify their workforce and eliminate bias mm-hmm. or help employees, uh, upskill and reskill employees, if it has that discriminatory output, the employer's on the hook. So we, we've talked about black box versus white box AI on the podcast for years. And for all those listeners who, who haven't heard it before, black box easily is just something that's not transparent. So you can't see what the algorithm's doing versus white box. You can actually see it, tweak it and, and explain it, which is the most important thing I believe for any employer that's out there to be able to see how it's working and why it's doing what it's doing. My question to you, Keith, I mean, because an employer can choose whatever they want, but at the end of the day, the the outcomes are where the EEOC comes into play, right? Do you see black box AI actually surviving uh, the next decade? You know, you may not like the answer to this, <laughs> but I, I'm not advocating not for to have very transparent algorithms, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the results that we're going to look at. But as far as the actual being able to see what, what's in the black box, you know, at this point, it's really up to individual legislators or legislation or regulators to, to make that determination. And what you're seeing absent a federal standard right now, um, which is something else I've been talking about, is you're going to get a lot of different laws and regulations on this. So in Illinois, They've passed a law banning facial recognition technology. Mm-hmm. The city of New York is now pa- it has a proposal that if you're being subject to AI, that not only are you being disclosed as an employee before you take the test or being assessed by it, you're, you're being told you're being uh, AI is, is being used uh, in this process. And here are your rights and remedies under the New York Civil Code. So absent some national auditing standard, or you're going to see a, a lot of these individual states local governments and state governments start to say, you know, here's what we actually want to see. Here's the auditing requirements we we um, want to see. But right now it's sort of all over the place, not just here. And I know you have a lot of listeners in Europe and you deal with a lot of those issues. They're really also getting ahead of it. And I know from the data privacy side, um, that's one issue over there. But for them, they've already said that using AI in employment in their proposed legislation is going to be in their highest risk category. The same as critical infrastructure and uh, emergency services. They they call it you know the high risk. So that that's sort of a long winded way of saying everything is all over the place right now, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> and this this is a a, lo- a high it, this reaches into a huge number of companies. I mean, talking about the uh, the Harvard study, I think from this year last year uh, said 99 percent of Fortune 500 use technology in their pre screening. Uh, 75 percent of all U.S. employers. In light of that, I think one of the things and, and to piggyback on my last question was. It show that nine out of 10 executives rely on software and believe that it is unfairly rejecting uh, candidates. So you say that, you know, the employer is is on the hook for this. 
And I think it's important to just sort of underscore that because so many think that it's messed up and are they blaming vendors in that process? And I think that a lot of employers need to look in the mirror and figure out that that we're the ones that are that are that are liable to these and, and the tools that we use. And let's make sure that uh, we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. Would that be correct? Yeah. And that is a great point. Just like they're liable for if an HR personnel or a manager makes that decision, right? It's just, we're, we're doing it much more high tech on a much larger scale. But HR tech can be much more transparent than trusting a human brain, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about this whole black box and AI, a black box, we don't know what's going on. Well, do you know what's going on in your hiring managers head across the, you know, <laughs> no, across no various divisions across the country? No clue. No clue. You know, and you don't know what they've seen, you know, and one of the examples I like to give on the benefits of AI in recruiting in that, in those first steps is that, you know, an HR manager or a hiring manager, talent acquisitions, they can see that somebody is of a certain national origin. They can Mm -hmm. see that a person is disabled or, or pregnant, right? And let's use a disabled and pregnant example. You can't ever unsee that. And although it is totally illegal highly you know unlawful to not give somebody a job because of that right right because in the back of their mind no matter what they're thinking how much is this going to cost me if this person if i have to make a reasonable accommodation for somebody who's disabled you know how much is that going to cost me if if somebody is pregnant how much is it going to cost me in healthcare or or leave and then if you have 10 other candidates it's easy just to say okay we're going to move with these same highly qualified candidates as well where they're eliminated at that very early stage, right? Right. Versus AI, all I'm looking at is your qualifications. All the computer is looking at is the qualifications. Or, you know, some programs even eliminate the name or, or uh, take out any gender references, right? So a lot of that, it's a plus because you're getting much further down the line than potentially getting screened out by um, those initial managers. So in that sense, it is very, very good. But to go back to your your question about that stat you gave about the people getting rejected by a computer and now whatever the the stats are about how many employees are not actually going to get in the door because of that computer. Well, we talk about from an enforcement perspective and from a litigation perspective, you you haven't seen many cases on this at all. And which is generally unusual because we live in a very litigious society and we mm-hmm. have a lot of federal law enforcement agencies like the one I'm a commissioner at who, who are normally very aggressive in bringing these kind of cases. But if you don't know you're being subject to this technology or if you don't know you ever, you didn't even get an opportunity because you were subjected to an algorithm that screened you out even from showing you a job offer, how are you going to complain of discrimination? How are you going to you know, exercise your rights under the law? And I think that is really why we're not seeing a lot. We're opposed to before you just assume, you know, that somebody didn't like me or if we had any evidence for a reason, then you could bring a, a charge with the EEOC. So in that sense, I, I think people are starting to get hip that they're being subject to this, but a lot of people still don't know it's out there. Well, and I think that we're just used to it no matter what. Again, it's it's the human condition that we've been dealing with. My big question is that we saw in the you know Bush era where uh, they brought in for the OFCCP, they started huge amounts of funding for the OFCCP. They started bringing in statisticians, and they really started going heavily after enforcement. Yeah, you can you can see that in just the fines <laughs> that were that were you know leveraged against uh, major government contractors. So the the question is, knowing that bias is going to scale, 
it's it's going to happen because we're now employing these technologies, these platforms, these systems, AI, whatever you want to call it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at a huge scale. Is that going to make it easier for you guys to pinpoint or are you going to have to also play the same kind of game and start to do what the OFCCP did back in the 2000s and start playing the game at a more evolved level and start using AI for your, your own reasons? Uh, you know, that, that's an interesting uh, question. And you see a lot of back and forth about the number, about the amount of budget for these agencies, <clears throat> excuse me, how much uh, investigators are being hired. And a lot of that are what the, the priorities are at the time. So it's, it's really hard to tell right now as far as what the current priorities are. As you know, we don't even have a budget right now. We're on a continuing resolution. The the White House did call for an increase of over $40 million to the EEOC's budget for this year. And similar to DOL, OFCCP, you know, they're going to get a lot. But a lot of what drives those on a on a uh, national level of enforcement is uh, what the priorities are of the current administration, what the priorities are uh, of the chair. And to your point as well, is that now, no matter what your priorities are at the EEOC, whether it's it's uh, gender discrimination, pay equity, racial discrimination in the workplace, religious discrimination, it's all going to be magnified, right? To levels that we have never seen before if AI is not used properly. So I can't comment on any immediate actionable investigator increase or additional enforcement in this area because generally I'm not allowed to, (laughs) but I can tell you, and I think this raises a really great point. I really appreciate you bringing this up that no matter what the issue of the time is, and, and the way the EEOC is designed, we're always kind of dealing with what's in the in the news, right? So when the Me Too movement happened, the EEOC has has guidance on on that, has been a leader in that with the US women's soccer team, pay equity, EEOC, that's right in our wheelhouse. And then when COVID and all the disability uh, issues related to COVID or, or now the religious issue. So the EEOC really, from a national perspective, sort of has the pivot of what the national news story is. And, and you see um, dealing with uh, our issues like race, color, religion, sex, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, pregnancy. It's national news stuff, right? When it when it when it gets to that level. But I'm very cognizant and very aware that AI now is going to be behind the scenes for a lot of these decisions. It's just something that all of us can't ignore anymore. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about TextKernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> Seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks, 
Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Keith, one of the things that you said that stuck stuck in my brain there was that there haven't there hasn't been any sort of major case around AI and, and hiring and being screened out, although you think that there there will be in the future. So when I look at, you know, nine out of ten executives think you know, believe that uh, people are getting filtered out unfairly. What is the incentive for them to change? Because if, if there's no major fine, there's no perp walk. Where's the stick? What What's going to happen? And, and we talked, you know, we talked about Activision on the show recently in the, the sexual harassment case. And I think uh, pregnant women were part of that as well. You know, the $18 million fine. Like at the end of the day, don't these big companies sort of do an algorithm of, uh, of, of catastrophe and say like, well, let's just keep it as as is. And if we get pinched. We write a check and and we're done. I mean, what's going to change behavior? That 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 is a great point. And there there is the look. There's the carrot and the 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 stick example. And let me just go over both. For me, I believe that enforcement alone will never be enough to meet our mission. And I believe that when I was at Department of Labor as well, that educating employees about their rights and educating employers about what their obligations are under the law is far greater to me than enforcement. Let's prevent the discrimination from happening in the first place. So in an area like this, where there are not clear guidelines, that the EEOC does have the tools. Look, our laws are old from the 1960s, born out of the civil rights movement, but they're not outdated. And and they apply with equal strength to the decisions made by HR people in 1960s as they're going to be to computers in 2050, right? Um, so that's why I feel it's my job to start to talk about this as much as I can, to, to go over how each technology, whether it's a recruiting, whether it's the facial recognition or the voice um, programs, or even you know some of the AI being used to, to promote and terminate employees and say, here is what, here's what the rules of the road are. And if it's used improperly, there can be serious consequences. So I want to do that first. And and I in, in this industry, what I've seen is that there's really a desire for that, that a lot of people believe in their technology and they want it to work and they don't want it to be taken down by enforcement or class action lawsuits, whether it's by us or other plaintiffs, lawyers out there. So, but going to the enforcement and I do have to address, you know, what you're saying is that where is the enforcement? Why is it happening? I, I do think, like I said earlier, there's a lot of reasons why we haven't seen it, that people just don't know that they're being sub subjected to this. So that's really where the federal government should step in and, and find these cases. There is a, a unique, well, our jurisdiction at the EEOC is a little, um, it gets a little complicated in the sense that where other law enforcement agencies can just kick the door open and say we're here, you know, like in the movies. The, yes, the EEOC has to be ushered in by somebody with a case, right? Do you, do you not have a badge, Keith? Do you not have a badge? I don't need a badge. Okay. 
<laughs> Watch it. <laughs> no, um, I do not have a badge. But because the EEOC has that jurisdiction where it needs to be subject to an employee, it, it's difficult here mm-hmm. where the EEOC can't walk in. You know, where like the Department of Labor, OSHA can walk into anyone to, to do an inspection, right? Um, and same with wage and hour, they can go into you know, any facility and check time roll records. Um, we, we can't do that here, but we do have a very um, unique tool. Um, so when Congress designed the EEOC and put those limitations on um, an employee having to file, what we call a charge, a charge of discrimination for the agency to have jurisdiction, it carved out um, what's called a commissioner's charge. And essentially said, if you're confirmed, confirmed by the Senate and a commissioner, you have the ability to start an investigation in your own name and have the full force of the EEOC, EEOC investigation, which comes with subpoena power and mm-hmm. potentially eventual litigation. So, oh, damn. Yeah. So to me, this is, uh, it, you know, it's very serious if a commissioner using um, this seat is going to tell the EEOC to investigate an employer. Commissioner charges are generally a very big deal. And a lot of the commissioner charges in the past that have been very successful have come from a commissioner watching 60 Minutes, a commissioner reading investigative journalism and starting a case from there. So this is certainly something I'm interested in. And, and I do want to be very balanced here. And you know, f- for your listeners and for all of you, that's why I started with, we have to address the guidance. We got it. We got to put the rules of the road out. It's it's not necessarily fair. Um, although the law is the law, if it's not, if the federal agency that's going to do the enforcement is not giving best practices and guidelines, and and that's something I'm very committed to doing. But once that's you know out there too, there's also the enforcement side, which carries significant weight. That also can get to that point where if the people who are not going to listen to your guidance or who are going to design AI to intentionally discriminate, to give that employer maybe a competitive advantage or allow them to do these bad things, that's where we should be focusing our efforts. We should Enforcement should be on really on bad actors who are designing AI improperly or conversely using AI the wrong way. And, and that's something I'm, I'm willing to do a commissioner charge on. It's just you want to find the right way to do it. So if I'm going to use that stick and address the concerns that both of you are raising, mm-hmm. that from a business perspective, we we can use this um, these programs for as long as we want because um, it's unlikely that there'll be enforcement on for the whole host of issues. You know that that's something I'm committed to doing that I want to do. You know I just I want to set the example if I'm going to use those resources on. AI that is really being used the wrong way, really being used to to harm people with either disabilities or national origin or gender, age, whatever our protected class is. If an AI is built or being used improperly, that's where I need to be. So let's go ahead and I'm going to flip the script and go old school on you here for a minute because I, I don't think AI in itself is is the base and root of the issue of, as we talked about human decisions before. And I think some of the human decisions that are almost carved in stone tablets, for goodness sakes, are called job descriptions. And they have requirements on them that aren't even close to necessary, right? We have a bachelor's degree for being in an entry-level sales position or something of that nature, right? So I, I think I think this is a much more deeply rooted issue and what we've been doing for decades. We've been we've had these bias issues for decades. I only believe that we're starting to see them 
at a much larger scale because of the AI. And we're starting to see that these blips in the radar are starting to happen because AI is actually pointing them out because the bias is not a little pinpoint anymore. It is a huge bubble. So the question is, you know, is the EEOC going to do a couple of things? First and foremost, help on the education side with employers to help them understand that, hey, look, your 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 base root and foundation of bias starts here. And, and I'm just using the job description as an example. Do you go through those types of like roadshows before you start actually hammering away at, hey, yeah. okay, we told you about this. You're doing it wrong. You haven't fixed it. Now we're coming. And, and the penalties get more severe in those, um, yeah. in those areas. But you know, there's AI now to to deal with every aspect of the employment relationship. So you talked about job descriptions, and I and I completely agree with you. And I this is something we can dive into for an entire hour on job descriptions alone. We'll do another one on this. I promise. Yeah, it's a very important topic, and there's a lot of you know all of our laws, as, as you know, apply to applicants as well. Not you know you don't need to be working somewhere to 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 bring a charge of discrimination. But now there's vendors out there that offer AI to look at job applications and, and postings and job descriptions, and they will tell you what terms are, are using to deter, you know, to make it more gender neutral. And so they'll give you a job description, and they'll scan all the world and say, well, it's more likely that males are going to apply than females, and here's how you balance it out. So th- that's a, a, a way AI can be very good, right? <laughs> To, yeah. to sort of deal with those issues. And that's why, you know, I, I like tech. I'm all for tech. I really think tech can can help eliminate, you know, a lot of the, the bias. And I think that's a really um, great example. But from my perspective at the EEOC, and I know in your world, living listening to your podcast, you sort of get it as well, that how much different tech there is in just HR alone and how it touches all different times. And I know the, the vast majority of uh, of the the hot part to talk about is in recruitment, but it really it, it's so much more than that. And when I when I'm looking at this from what I want to educate on is where tech is being used in the entire life cycle of the employee, and that starts with the job description, and then it starts with the thought of recruiting. And are you going to do active recruiting, or are you going to passively you know try to um, look, get people who are not actually looking for jobs and, and what are you, you basing that on based now that you have your resume and to, to try to screen them out to interviews by done by a uh, chat bots or um, by facial recognition and, and then having uh, gamified assessments through the decision to hire using AI to hire through the decision to what are you going to offer that employee for, for money for compensation. And then AI will tell you if they're, based upon their you know, resume, if they're likely to accept it and what offer. And then there's some really interesting programs out there that are way outside of our wheelhouse here jurisdiction-wise, but like that can then predict what kind of employee that person is going to be versus then, then they're higher than they're there. Is, and then, isn't that crazy though? I mean, seriously, to predict, I, to predict what kind of employee that person's going to be, not knowing the type of manager that individuals had before, not knowing the type of environment that they've had to deal with before, but yet taking all that historical quote unquote data and trying to predict what a human's going to do. That's why you and I will never have a full-time job again, Chad. <laughs> exactly. Even, But it's even more than that. So then you're there and then you know, we're using AI to potentially um, monitor employees' 
chats and emails to see you know their job satisfaction, if they're likely to leave or not. And then other programs saying, you know, you have this employee in this group doing this job, but based on her the resume, she would be so much better in sales in this part of the country. And then uh, what I wrote about most recently in the Chicago Tribune about AI then assessing workers on more than just how much widgets they're they're making that day, uh, based on every aspect of their job, and then potentially automatic notifications that they get a bad performance review or um, they're fired. Um, so it's really the entire life cycle for me. And that's, I can't just focus in on the recruitment piece. I can't focus just in on the upskilling and reskilling piece. I have to look at every single part of that. And I need to talk about every part of that. I need to give best practices on every part of that. And then when where it's going wrong, I need to then enforce on all the, the different parts that are just not working. If uh, if Chad can go off script a little bit, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a pull a curveball as well. Um, <laughs> but there is a bridge here, I promise. Uh, we've talked about facial recognition. We just talked about job descriptions and sort of uh, how to promote those. And I want to pivot over to social media for a second. And uh, pre pandemic, Facebook went through a pretty big um, change to the way that they uh, allow employers to market their jobs. So Facebook, if you've never used it, you can target by, you know, age, location, education. There are so many ways that you can do that. Well, from a job posting perspective, um, perspective and promoting jobs, that's can be a really bad thing. And they found a lot of companies were targeting, let's say young men, um, for their, for their engineering jobs. And, and Facebook can no longer do that. And if you try to post something that looks like a job or advertise something that looks like a job, they have pretty strict regulations. Uh, believe it or not, Facebook does have strict regulations on how you can uh, market those jobs. And when that happened, I was I was sort of expecting Twitter to suffer, not suffer, but have the same uh, regulations. I expected Snapchat and then obviously TikTok. Um, and TikTok now is getting more into marketing jobs and, and resumes and things like that. So I guess broadly, what should we be expecting or what is the EEOC really taking a close look at in regards to social media? Um, is it resumes via video on TikTok? Is it uh, promoting jobs? Uh, descriptions and how they target that. What is sort of in in your crosshairs right now in terms of social media and job promotion? This is another great example of how a new issue, but uh, oh, loss. So the Facebook example is an excellent one, one that I talk about, one I write about, because the the mindset of social media, which are largely advertising platforms, right, is to ta- narrowly tailor your experience to what you are interested in what you want to buy, um, things you like. And that has to be done by your age, by your gender, by potentially your national origin. And that works in the advertising context, no problem. But when it comes to people's livelihood and their opportunities to succeed, it doesn't work. And I know that was a very public example, and we know they changed it there. But that certainly is is a, an example of how easily scalable and dangerous uh, this technology can potentially be. But it is unavoidable that a lot of this is going to be through social media and you know for the advertising practices now in social media, obviously they can't be limited by age. But this also get, gets more into a bigger issue and now it's just amplified because it's on, on tech about advertisements for you know who who want recent college graduates, right? 
although a recent college graduate could be any age, right? There's no, mm -hmm. you see stories of people going back to school and being 90 years old and getting their bachelor's degree. Generally, what is the, what is the result of that kind of policy going to be? Who are you going to get applying? Youngins. Yes. Utes. And your desire to, to do that is not necessarily to exclude people over 40, which is what the law protects. It's it just, you know, you just, maybe these are entry level jobs, but putting a limiter in there will, you know, certainly have that disparate impact. And, and although you didn't want to discriminate, you're still going to be liable because our laws we enforce don't require that intent. So where I'm getting to is, is in, in the TikTok example, which has been largely reported on that, you know, employers want to do advertise, uh, job applications and resumes through TikTok. There, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegal about that, unlawful about that. But at the end of the day, for the EEOC is concerned, we're going to look at the, the results of that. And if that requires you to do a, a TikTok video and a highly produced on your phone, on your newest iPad or iPhone, is everyone going to have that opportunity? Is that just going to limit the applications to cer certain people of certain race or certain gender or certain age? How are people with disabilities going to be able to, you know, make fancy video resumes? Is there another way for them to do to apply outside of doing that video for somebody who's who is maybe technologically challenged, right? So so that's the EEOC is going to look at that like it would any other job application. Are those limiting factors in there that are going to screen out people of a certain age? Or uh, race, gender, so that that's what we're going to look at. But again, it's it's it doesn't matter if these companies just want to make applying for jobs cooler, right? And that that's sort of what it is. Or how do you get this new generation of workers to actually engage with employers to come to come work there by doing all those cool things? At the end of the day, the EEOC is going to say, did did that neutral policy have the effect of excluding? And I think largely in the TikTok case, it would be older workers, right? Is there a way they can also apply to the same jobs without having to do backflips in your videos and dancing, right? <laughs> so again, it's not different than job descriptions of old when you're saying, oh, we want people with one year of experience, right? What is the effect on that? Never a dull moment. No. So, and there's never enough time. We still have much more to talk about, Keith. We want you to come back on the show. We want to talk about social media. We want to talk about wages, AI, DEI, ageism, all that other fun stuff. But until then, I want to say thanks again. Keith Sonderland, Commissioner at the US EEOC. Keith, if, if listeners want to find out more about what you've been writing about or maybe want to connect with you, where would they do that? What's your um, TikTok, I, Keith? What's your TikTok? <laughs> no, uh, I, I can't do the, the TikTok. Maybe <laughs> the three of us will do one together on, at one of these conferences. Um, but I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can add me there. Follow me there. I, I post a lot there as well as on on Twitter. Um, so I'm really uh, looking forward to engaging with everyone. Uh, Joel and Chad, thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. And like I said, there's a lot of topics to talk about. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate um, your platform. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to coming back and, and talking and going over some of these specific issues. And again, to show that there's a, a proper way to do these. And also, here are the risks that I know from my position, not only as a labor and employment lawyer, but as the regulator now in the space, I want people to know there's resources out there. And if you want to do it the right way, you have 
unlimited tools available for you. But if you want to do it the wrong way, I also have other tools available for you, which you're not going to like. So I, that, I, I really do appreciate this, this um, platform. To we're talk the to government you. and we're here to help. And That's with right, sort of, that chat. <laughs> Excellent. I yes. said we're here to help first. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Chad, this was awesome. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.